0: Thank you for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in seven different locations. We hope that today's message encourages and empowers you on your spiritual journey and helps you grow deeper in your relationship with God. To learn more about Our Savior's Church and how you can get involved, you can visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. very important part of this season that I want to talk about. We've actually titled the whole series that we've been in called The Gift. I love the gifts. I love the giving of gifts. I love watching my kids' eyes light up. I love blessing people in a way that maybe they didn't expect us to bless them. That's just a very important part of this season. But there's always that one person who is extremely hard to buy a gift for, for. How many of you know people like that? You have that one person in your family. They are very difficult to buy a gift for. I'll tell you who that person is for me. My mom. My mom has always been the most difficult person. Me and my wife would talk about this leading up. Like, she just, she has everything. Like, what do I give her? Like every time she's got the new this, she's got the new that. Like, how do, I don't know what to get her. Until... Things have gotten very easy as of late, and I'll tell you why. Now all I have to do is give her a picture of her granddaughters, and she's happy. She's happy. And notice, I didn't say give her a picture of my family because she could care less about my wife and I. She just wants a picture of those grandbabies, in particular, the youngest one. So that's that's gotten very easy. But most of us have those people who say, I just don't know what to get them. It's hard hard to get them anything. Now, I want to talk about this for a moment because last week we talked about a moment in the story of Jesus' birth in Matthew chapter 2. Where this group of people called the Magi or the wise men, when they traveled almost a thousand miles roughly around Persia, or if not in Persia, to bring gifts to the newly born king of the Jews. And we talked a lot about that, and I'm gonna look at that exact same scripture, but I wanna look at it from a different perspective this week because I want you to see something. But before I do that, I wanna I want pose this question. If you were them, what would you give? If I told you tomorrow when you wake up, you're going to meet Jesus, and I don't mean you're gonna die, but he's going to physically be in the flesh in front of you and you have the opportunity to give him something, what would you give him? And here's the question. What do you give a king who has everything? What do you do? I'll preach the message, thank you. (laughs) My job is to set you up (laughs) then. No, seriously, I want you to think about that for a moment. What do you give him? When he owns it all, it's, here's, here's the thing. If you were going, some of you said, may I give him a gumbo? <laughs> okay. You're proud of your gumbo. But these men formulated gifts that they would bring almost a thousand miles to present to this child. To present to this baby. And each one of those gifts had a meaning. They had a significance. They had there was something special about the gifts that they gave him. So what is it that he would want? Let's keep talking. I want to go back to that scripture, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. This is what it says. It says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. Now, again, they traveled a long way with this one thing in mind, to worship the king of the Jews. And as we're going to see, he was much more than that. So these wise men, these magi, now, if you weren't here last week, I'm just going to tell you, go back and listen to the message, because I may or might, may not have ruined every nativity scene that you're ever going to see from this point on. How many of you just this week saw a nativity scene and you went, that's not accurate? (laughs) So these men traveled to bring this gift to Jesus, to the king of the Jews. Here's the problem. There was another man by that title, King of the Jews, and he found issue with this. Verse 3, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be? Let me pause there for a moment, because for those of you that don't know that term, Messiah and Christ mean the same thing. Messiah is the Hebrew term. Christ is the Greek term. And they both mean the anointed one. There was this figure that in the Bible, really since the beginning of Adam and Eve's time when God was bringing judgment on them, there was this promise of this one day man who would come and crush sin and defeat the enemy. And this messianic figure they knew of, they referred to as Mashiach or Messiah, this king that would one day come and rescue them. So when these wise men show up and they say, we're here to worship the king of the Jews, Herod knew exactly what they were talking about. It wasn't just the next king in the line. It was the promised one, the anointed one by God, the Messiah. Let's keep going. Where is this Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem of Judea, they said. For this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people, Israel. He's quoting Micah chapter 5. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. let Let me pause there for a moment. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. I recognize that for many of you, this season is not a joyful season. Can I remind you of something? Turn your eyes towards Jesus because that's where your joy can be found. Your joy is not found in your circumstances. If that were the case, you would be up and down as many of us are. Our joy is to be found in one place, in God, in Jesus. When they saw the star indicating that they were going to find Jesus, their great joy great joy came. The angels proclaimed, great joy would come. Where does that joy come from? Not from the circumstance. It comes from the source of joy, our king. This is what the Bible says. It says the joy of the Lord is our strength. And there's debate whether or not that means God's joy gives us strength or the joy God gives us gives us strength. There's debate and all of that. But what I, I, may, I don't know the answer to that question, but what I do know is this. Our joy comes from the fact that God's joy is in us. That's where our joy comes from. Our joy comes from the fact that a God who is filled with joy, and some of us don't think about God that way. He is filled with joy. He is the creator of joy. And that God filled with joy lives in us and promises us that joy. So if you will let it, God, if you will let him, God, through his spirit, will fill you with joy. That's what he wants you to have this Christmas season. His joy. Not the joy the world gives. His joy. Let's keep going. So these magi, these wise men, they entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasure chest and gave him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They gave him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. That's the reason, I don't know if you know this or not, but that's the reason why we give gifts at Christmas time. We give gifts because these magi, these wise men, gave gifts to Jesus. That's why we do that. We bless kids and we look for the joy and we look for all of those things because it's, it's, it started here. Now, I want to talk about these gifts because, again, what do you give one who has, a king who has everything? These four gifts that I'm going to talk about I wanna unpack the four gifts that these wise men, these magi gave to Jesus. Gift number one, they brought him gold. They brought him gold. Now at that time in human history, gold was the most precious metal that you could find. Gold was not common. Common people did not have gold. Gold was in the chambers and the courts and the palaces of kings. It was a special metal. And not only that, it's been said that if you're ever brought before a king, you should bring a king a gift. If you read the Old Testament, you'll see when the queen of Sheba goes to see Solomon, she brings gifts. When other people, other kings go to visit other kings, they bring gifts. Why? Because when you go before the presence of a king, you bring him gifts. You offer him something. You bring him something. That is how you come before a king. And what better gift to give to a king rather than a kingly gift like gold? So these these magi, these wise men, they brought this gift, and they were acknowledging something as they brought him this gift of gold. They were acknowledging that he was, in fact, a king. And I mentioned this last week, but I love how the Bible doesn't say the newborn that will become a king. It says the newborn king of the Jews. He was a king from the moment he stepped foot on the earth. So these magi are acknowledging something. Are y'all with me this morning? They're acknowledging that Jesus, you're a king. Now, I want you to see something. These, I talked about this a little bit last week, but these magi, these wise men, they were like these spiritual mystic advisors to kings, but they also kind of filled the role of a priest. And this line of magi, they, had, they served one God. And, and, and these priests, these godly, they, they knew kings. They recognized kings. And so they were presenting to the king of kings this kingly gift. Now, they, were, they weren't Jews. They were not Jewish men. They were Gentiles, signifying the fact that Jesus is not only the king of the Jews, but he is the king of kings. He's the king of the nations, the way the book of Revelation describes him. And can I just tell you something? It doesn't matter what's going on in the earth today. It doesn't matter the wars or the rumors of wars. He has not stopped being king of kings. He is still in charge. And I know sometimes, if you're like me, you look on the news and you hear about the things going on and you think, my God, Lord, is anybody in control? He still is. And in a moment, he can change a nation. In a moment, his gospel, his truth can completely change a nation. So whether you're the richest nation in the world or the most prosperous of nations and you think, I don't need God, or you're the poorest nation of the poor, he is still King and Lord of all. And one day all of us will bow our knee and confess that he is Lord and King of all. He is still King of kings. So that first gift they gave him was gold. Now, Joseph and Mary were going to need that gift. How do I know that? Because Herod, After the Magi went a different way and they didn't go back and see him, Herod realized that he was tricked. So in a temper tantrum, he threw one and he decided, I'm going to kill every two-year-old boy and under in Bethlehem and around Bethlehem. In his rage, he went and killed all of the baby boys in Bethlehem at that time. That's how insecure that he was. But God warned Joseph and Mary about this. So they took Jesus and they went to Egypt. Many of you may not know that, but the the Bible tells us they took Jesus and they went away to Egypt for a time before they came back into Nazareth. Now, why did they need that? They were poor. Joseph and Mary were not wealthy people. They weren't. They didn't have a ton of money. They were a poor family. How do I know that? Because in biblical times, and the Bible tells us this, when they brought their sacrifice to the temple, sacrifices were supposed to be a lamb, a a clean, a spotless lamb. That's what you would bring to the temple as your sacrifice. But there was an allotment made for the poor, those who didn't have lambs. They brought doves. The poor would bring doves because they couldn't afford to bring lambs. So we see when Joseph and Mary came to the temple, what did they bring? They didn't bring a lamb. They brought doves. But in actuality, they brought the lamb. They brought the real lamb. But I say that to show you they weren't rich. They weren't super wealthy people. And so with this, they have this gift of gold that they're going to need to fund their trip to Egypt and back. So that was the first gift, signifying Jesus as king of kings. The second gift that they brought was frankincense. Everybody say frankincense. Not Frankenstein, frankincense. They brought Jesus frankincense. What was frankincense? It was an incense. And many of you know about incense because you used to cover various odors in your room before your parents came in with incense. Don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. But it was, it was a different type of incense. This was a, a holy incense. This was Frankincense was something that priests would use as they offered sacrifices to God. And so this, again, these magi were a type of priests. And so they were used to offering their incense in their ritualistic worship. So they were priests. They understood this. And they brought this gift to Jesus signifying something. That not only is he a king but he's also a priest, and not only is he a priest, the Bible tells us he is the high priest, the exalted priest, the head priest, the leader of the priesthood is Jesus. Now, what was the job of a priest back then? The job of a priest was to stand in the gap. It was to go to man on behalf of God, go to God on behalf of man. The priest was the intercessor. It was the one in the middle. They stood in the gap where they would take men's offerings and present them to God. That's what a priest did. And so when the Bible tells us that Jesus is the high priest, saying he's the one who stands in a gap between God and man. This is what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4. It says this about Jesus, verse 14, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testing we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we we will find, we will receive, excuse me, his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus is always at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. What he did when he came on the earth, the blood he shed was for you on your behalf. And not only that, he was tempted and tested the same ways that we are. So he understands. That's what allows him to be the high priest that sits on the the right hand of God saying, give them another chance. Lord, I see that. God, I know them. Father, I know them. Give them another chance. He is always at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. Why? Because he is the high priest. And these magi, these wise men, when they brought this gift of frankincense, it was symbolic that Jesus would be that high priest for us one day. That he would, be, he would go through the sacrifice of his own death and rise again from the dead to sit at the right hand of the Father to intercede for you. There's another gift that I want to read to you. They brought him the gift, and this gift is a little strange, if we're being honest. This is that gift that you get of all the gifts. You go, oh, I love it, I love it. This is the one you look at and you go, oh, really, thanks. They brought him myrrh. Now, why would I say that that's strange? Myrrh had many uses in this time, in this, this point in history. It was used as beauty treatment. Myrrh was used as a perfume because it had a pleasant smell. It was also used as a painkiller. In the Bible, when Jesus is hanging on the cross, they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, gall. And they offered that to him to try to take away the pain. It was a painkiller. But myrrh was also used as an embalming agent. So when someone died and they embalmed them, they didn't use embalming fluid the way that we did. They would pack their bodies with myrrh and other things. As a matter of fact, when Jesus died and the women showed up, they wanted to pack his body with myrrh and other spices, other things. So this gift is tantamount to saying, Jesus, I'm going to give you embalming fluid for your birthday. How many of you, you, tomorrow morning, wives, your husband gave you embalming fluid? You have a little problem with that. But why did they give him this gift? Because it was significant of something. It was significant of the purpose that he came to fulfill. We love the story and I love this time of year. But I don't want to stop short at the story because the story didn't end there. The story is actually still being written because Jesus came as a baby, but then he grew up to become a man, and he preached a glorious gospel to save us all, and then he died on the cross for our sins and rose again from the dead on the third day. The story doesn't end with the baby, and the story doesn't end with the cross. He came, though, for the purpose of the cross— How do I know that? The Bible tells us in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, it says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. In other words, I came into the earth to give my life for you. This was my purpose. This is what the Father sent me to do, was to die for you. So when these Magi, these wise men, gave this gift, it was significant of the fact that Jesus was going to come and be king. That Jesus was going to come and be the high priest, but he was also going to come and be the lamb. He was also going to die for us, to rescue us, to save us. That was the third gift. And you may have thought that I made a mistake when I said four gifts. I didn't. Because there's another gift. The first three gifts that they gave that we talked about, those things are significant of who Jesus is. It helps us understand that he's the king, that he's the high priest. helps us understand that he's the suffering servant of God that came to lay his life down for all of our sin. He had no sin. He died for your sin. He died for my sin. Yet we reject him. We reject the one who died for us. This fourth gift, though, this recognizes what he wants. Those were about who he is. This one's about who he wants. This is the fourth gift. And really, it's not even a gift. It's a response to the gift because he is the gift. It's our response to his gift. Here's the fourth one, our worship. Our worship. Verse 11 of Matthew 2 says, they entered the house and they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. I love that, when they saw the child, they bowed down and they worshiped. Can I just tell you something, church, when you really see Jesus, the the real response that you have is to worship. The accurate, the appropriate response is to worship. Because you're so captured and captivated by who he is. I'm not talking about seeing the religion of Christianity. He didn't even die for us to become a religion. That's what we've made it. He came to make it a glorious kingdom that people from every race, color, creed, nation, tribe, and tongue would come and recognize who he is and bow down and worship him. That's what happens when you really see him. He's not the set of rules that you make him out to be. He's not the traditions that we make him out to be when you see him for who he is, the only proper response is to bow down and worship. That a holy, righteous God who is sinless and spotless, who loves us so much that he sent his son to die holy, spotless, righteous for sinful humanity. When you recognize that, here's the proper response. I worship you. And I'm, I love how we sing songs of worship and we, some people, you see them lifting their hands and you've wondered why they do that. It's basically a sign of surrender, saying, Lord, I, I'm yours. I give you me. Others, you see, get down on their knees, they're posturing themselves, knees, excuse me, they're posturing themselves to say, you're God, I'm not. I, I become less so that I can exalt you. And that word worship, the etymology of that word, the, the root of that word comes from this word, worth-ship. Worth-ship. Worship comes from the word worth In other words, I am saying how much you're worth. I'm giving you what you are worth. I'm giving you what you deserve, and you are worthy of all of this. And I'm going to talk more about this tonight in our, our brief time together. But think about who we're talking about. He's the same God that was yesterday. He's that he who was, he who is, and he who is to come. He is timeless, time, time, he's not bound by time. He's not in time, time's in him. He is worthy of our worship. I love that song that we sing, for from him were or are all things and to him are all things from him came everything everything we need is in him and everything that we want can be found one day in him because he's also our hope he's our hope for the glorious future so those wise men did the wise thing when they saw Jesus and they bowed down and they worshipped him and that's what he wants from us today. Church, can I just tell you something? There's a statement that Jesus made to one of his disciples. We refer to him as Doubting Thomas. But he told them this in John chapter 14, verse 6. He said this Jesus told him, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No other religion makes that claim. No other man can make that claim he is either a liar a lunatic or he is Lord because he said I am it I'm the only way if you had really known me you would have known who my father is from now on you do know him and have seen him I want you to see just briefly before I close the people that Jesus offended when he said that when he said I am that claim that's the name of God Yahweh or Jehovah I am, that I am the name that God gave, the covenant name God gave to Moses of who he is he said I am the way, there is no other way, that's offensive to any other thought process, I'm going to get to God through this or through this or through meditation I'm going to get to God through this religion Jesus said I'm the only way then he said I'm the truth, in other words to the Greek there's one absolute truth and it is only found in him he says I'm the life the Zoe life not, not the biological life I am the life for the intellectuals out there who think I can find it this way and do this and wear this and do this he says I am the life and to every other path he sums it up by saying no one comes to the father except through me and I close with this lastly Going back to those wise men, those magi. The end of that story tells us that after they saw Jesus and after they worshiped and they gave him gifts, that they went home a different way than the way that they came. And the reason they did that is because they weren't going to fall for Herod's trick. But how many of you know that to this day, when you actually meet Jesus, you go home a different way? You go home differently than the way that you came to him. And that's what he wants for us. What do you give a king who has everything? You give him your everything. You give him the one thing that he came here for, you. He came into the earth, glorious day, joy to the world, all of those amazing things, but he came on a mission for you. So if you're a believer here, I encourage you to get your eyes off of everything else and stealing your joy and your time and your peace with God right now. Focus on Him because that's where your joy is found. That's where the celebration is. Even if things aren't going your way, you have joy and hope in Christ Jesus. But then, for those who are unbelievers, you're not born again, you don't belong to Him, and you know that. Maybe you've used to come to church, maybe you've fallen away, whatever it is, you know and can honestly say, I'm not His child. I have good news for you. He died so that that answer can change. He died so that you can go home today differently than the way that you came. How do you do this, Pastor? It's a very simple process. Simple as ABC. It's called being born Again. And Jesus himself said, you can't see God's kingdom. You can't see heaven unless you're first born again. So A, what do you do? A, I admit. Admit what? The truth. You admit that you're a sinner, that you're honest about the sin in your life that separates you from a holy God. B, you believe. Believe what? That the solution to my sin, my guilt, my shame can only be found in one place, what he did on that cross for me. What that baby who grew up to be a man did for me when he laid his life down willingly for my guilt, for my sin, for my shame. And then see, you confess. You confess that from this point on, you have made a decision. And it's a decision to give full allegiance to Jesus. To commit your way to following him. Being a disciple means being a disciplined learner. You begin a journey of becoming more and more and more and more like Him. And I want to tell you, it's not something you pray every week because you feel guilty. You just repent if you do that. You ask Him to forgive you because He's the high priest. But I'm talking about that line in the sand moment, that line of demarcation when you say, from this moment on, I have decided to follow Jesus. I believe he died for me. I believe he rose again from the dead on the cross. I mean, he me, rose again from the dead on the third day with a brand new life so that I can have a new life in him. So if that's you, I want to pray for you. And I want to lead you in a time of prayer where you talk to God and you surrender your life to him. I ask everybody to close your eyes and bow your heads to pray. And I don't want to embarrass anyone if that is your decision. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. This is the greatest, finest moment of your entire life. But I do want to acknowledge who I'm going to pray with. So at every eye closed and every head bowed, you're here and you say, Pastor, if God is offering that to me, I want that. I want to follow him. So with no one looking around on the counter, through three, I simply ask you to just lift up your hand. One, two, three. If that's you, lift up your hand. If you say, that's me. I want to be born again today. Thank you. I see your hand. Anyone else? Say, this is my moment. Thank you, ma'am. I see your hand. Lift it up high. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. Thank you. I see your hand back there. Praise God. Thank you, sir. I see your hand. You can put them down. If you lifted your hand or whether you lifted them or not, but you're making this decision, I want you to look up at me just for a moment. Just you. Because I want you to see and always remember this moment. This is the moment it all changes. Never forget that. Today's your day. You can close your eyes and bow your hands as well. Church, let's all pray this prayer out loud together. Say these words with me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe on the cross you died for my guilt, for my sin. And from my shame, I believe you faced hell, so I would not have to. And you rose again from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on this earth, and a relationship with God the Father. So I turn away from my sin, repenting of my sin. I choose to follow you. And I commit my way to you. And from this moment on, God, you are my Father. Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior. Holy Spirit, you're my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, come on, let's celebrate with every person that prayed that prayer today. I want to encourage you to do two things if you prayed that prayer with me. Number one, keep coming, because this is not the end of the journey. This is the beginning of a completely new journey. And I want you to learn what it means to be a follower, be a disciple of Jesus, and what that journey looks like. But from this point on, heaven is your home. Heaven is your home and your sins are forgiven. Secondly, tell somebody about the decision you made, whether you take that blue Connect card, get Connected card in the pew pocket, you can fill that out and and leave it on your seat or bring it to our info desk in the foyer. You can scan the QR code with your phone on the way back or simply tell somebody, hey, I prayed to be born again. Now what? Let us help you with your next steps. How many of you are glad you came to church on this Christmas Eve? Well, stand to your feet. I want to pray and release you. And again, reminder, tonight, 5 p.m., we have a very special candlelight service. Can't wait for that. It's one of my favorite services of the year. Also, if you need prayer for anything, our prayer partners are going to be here up front. If you need prayer for anything in your health, in your family, or just that joy that I talked about in this season, let me pray a prayer of blessing over you. Father, I thank you for your people that you sent your son over 2,000 years ago to rescue. And it is joy to the world that you've come to give. Joy that's found in you. And I pray that you would bless your people. That you would make your face to shine on them. And that you would bless them and they're going out and they're coming in and you would give them grace and you would give them peace and you would give them joy. And as your church, I pray that we would be a pure church who walks in the fear of the Lord. That we would be a powerful church filled with the power of your Holy Spirit. And we would be a persistent church even in the face of challenges. And I ask these things in your great name, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Merry Christmas, everyone. Somebody waits for you.